So today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1. You can turn there if you want. And we are going to look and see how Peter ties in two different topics that you might not think go together. Okay? Heaven and trials. Why do these two go together? So let's read our introduction to this letter. And, uh, yep, we got it up there. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jeff. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Let's uh, pray and start out with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that guides us and gives us instruction. And this morning we ask for your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts through your words, Father. And uh, we give you praise and glory for the morning that we've already had and experienced. And we just thank you for allowing us to be here in freedom in this wonderful country. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Now I'm dating myself because that's 25, 30 years ago, I think, right? If you remember that, there'd be this uh, commercial on TV and it'd be this crowded uh, restaurant or whatever and people be yakking and then all of a sudden, well, E.F. Hutton says, and someone would say that, and then the room would go silent and someone go, they'd all go like this. They'd be listening. And then the person would say, how wonderful E.F. Hutton is. Well, back in the day, when Peter spoke, people listened. Jesus changed Peter's name from Simon to Cephas, or Peter. And he said, upon this rock I will build my church. Isn't it interesting how nicknames kind of stick with a person? Sometimes the nicknames aren't very nice. But sometimes they are very endearing and very, uh, they, they fit a person. I never thought of it as Peter as a nickname, but it kind of is. Jesus took one look at Peter and said, this is going to be my man, Peter. He's going to be the one that's going to build the church. And, but he also knew that Peter would deny him three times. So he knew the struggles that Peter would go through. In these verses we just read, Peter refers to himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And you most likely you remember what an apostle is, but an apostle is one that is sent forth with the mission to share a message. Peter was a message sent directly from Jesus Christ. And he was charged with spreading the gospel or the good news. Peter was more than just an apostle. He was that faithful founder of our church. So you can imagine when he wrote a letter, it was an important document that would be passed down. And as far as we know, I believe Peter was, uh, he only wrote First and Second Peter. Peter wrote this letter to the pilgrims of dispersion. The first thing that pops into my mind when I hear that word pilgrims is I go back to grade school and we learn about the pilgrims that came to America and landed on Plymouth Rock in 1620. 
Well, after doing some studying, it's my understanding that Peter is writing to both the Jews and to the Gentiles, Christians. And these Christians are now considered foreigners because they are now children of God and they've officially lost their residence here on earth. They are pilgrims or sojourners who are foreigners in a new land. They are dispersed and they are scattered throughout the country. Peter not only refers to them as pilgrims, but he also refers to them as elect, according to the Father, sanctified by the Spirit through the saving blood of our Lord Jesus. Elect according to the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, and saved through Jesus Christ. I think it's cool here because Peter ties together the Trinity in one verse, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's kind of our introduction uh, so to speak. And Peter is considered to be that, that high apostle, founder of the church, and he's writing to new believers, and these new believers are scattered around northern Asia. But here's a very important point for us to think about and consider today. Do you think that Peter, Peter's letter is meant for us today, some 2,000 years later? It's kind of fun to wonder, do you... These guys that were writing these letters, like Paul and Peter, did they even imagine that we would be looking at these words 2,000 years later? It kind of blows my mind. So what do you think? Do you think Peter's letter can be applied to us today? Without a doubt, it can. God's word is a, a marvel of human history. No other book even stands close to it. The Bible has stood the test of time. And Peter's letter is exactly what God wants us to read today. God wants us to study his words and apply these words to our lives right now today. So there's our introduction. Let's dig into the rest of the the chapter. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll start with verse 3, and it's titled, A Heavenly Inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter begins by praising God for his abundant mercy. This uh, past year, Awana really stressed the word mercy. And we taught the kids over and over again, what's mercy? We'd ask the kids, and they finally got it. Mercy basically is getting something that you don't deserve. You don't deserve it. It's kind of like this. Say you're in a court setting, and there's a, jur- there's a case going on, and the the jury comes back after deliberating and the judge says to the jury, uh, what say ye? And then that that, uh, foreman of the jury will say, we find the defendant guilty. (gasps) Oh, no. And then the judge says, because you've been found guilty of such and such a crime, you are hereby sentenced to death. (gasps) And the, but the judge interrupts with a very judicial voice and says, I find this highly unusual, 
but someone has already paid the debt for your crime. The debt of your death penalty has been totally paid off and wiped clean. Since your debt to this court has been, has been paid, you are hereby granted mercy, and you are set forth to go free in your own recognizance. The people in the courtroom erupt in jubilation. There's tears of joy, and they're hugging each other. Can you imagine that? He's been given mercy. That's a good picture of mercy. That person didn't deserve uh, the mercy that was given to him. He, re- he deserved that death penalty. Because of our human nature, we all have a bent towards sin. And you probably remember this. Pastor Gary's referred to it many, many times. We are on the zip line of destruction. Remember that doll that he had here? I think it was right about here, and it went down. Zach Anderson was on the other side. and That's the way we are. We're on a zip line of destruction. And because of our sinful nature, because God cannot tolerate any sin, we are condemned to death. But as we read in Peter, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we have a living hope. When we stand before God, our final judge and jury for all humanity, because of, he'll say, because of my son Jesus Christ, the penalty for your sin has been paid. Isn't that great? The debt has been wiped clean. You are granted mercy and you are released to go free. We've almost, we've probably heard this many, many times, but let's let it sink in. Mercy is getting something we don't deserve. Our death penalty has been paid. But Peter said, wait, there's more. It's just like those infomercials on TV where you say, hey, you get this, this garden hose for nineteen ninety nine. but wait, there's more. You'll get this nozzle but wait, there's more. You'll get some washers with it. You know, and they all for the low, low price of $19.99. And Peter kind of says that, but wait, there's more. Because we have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will receive an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, that's reserved in heaven for you. This just blows me away. We are given an inheritance that's incorruptible. So when we hear that word inheritance, what does that mean to you? To me, inheritance is getting something that's passed on from generation to generation. It's moms and dads having something, grandma and grandpa, and then it's given to you. Maybe it's great-great-grandpa's old gold pocket watch. It's got a beautiful, you know, inscription on the back that says, Too Oli from Helga, I love you, or something like that. But eventually, that old pocket watch, it's going to quit working. And it's going to be passed down to an heir who doesn't find it of any value. They might pawn it, they might sell it, they might even just throw it away. Worldly inheritance is corruptible. But the inheritance given by Jesus Christ 
will not fade. In Revelation 21, it says, God will wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. And the former things of this life will be passed away. And God will make all things new. You know these verses. Peter tells us that our salvation in Christ is kept by the power of God. We've got to think about this. It's not going to lose its value. No one can come and take it away. And Peter explains that our salvation is to be revealed at the last time. Our salvation is to be redeemed when everything is prepared. It's kind of like, you know, when you were growing up and your mom was making that special meal. Maybe it's Thanksgiving. Um, But there was that turkey or that ham right there. You're just going to go take a little bite of it and She'd smack your hand. Nope, nope, you wait. You wait until everything's ready, and then we'll eat. Jesus said before he left, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know the way. So thinking about inheritance, let's stop and ask a really important question. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, what's the most valuable inheritance that you can pass down to your kids? Is it that gold watch? Is it that picture? Is it that violin? The most valuable inheritance that you can pass down to your kids is your faith in Jesus Christ. The example of how you have trusted Christ as your Savior and the example of how you live for him is the most valued treasure that you can pass down to your children. I'll say that again. The example of how you have trusted Christ as your Savior and the example of how you live for him is the most valued treasure that you can pass down to your children. The other day, um, my granddaughters, Katie and Bella, came over, and um, they hop out of the car, and one of the most, the, the, one of the first things they, they ask for is a four-wheeler ride. They say, Grandpa, let's go for a four-wheeler ride. They just love that. I've got some trails throughout the woods, and um, that was about a month ago this happened, and it was a typical day. We got on the four-wheeler. We started going through all the woods. And, but this was about the time when that storm had come through. And it was the first time I was out in the woods. In fact, we were dodging a lot of trees. But I noticed there were a lot of trees that I referred to as they were topped, where the wind was so strong that it, it just broke the top right off. And all you've got left standing is about 15, 20 feet of trunk. To me, a woodcutter, that I burn wood... This was great. I love it. That means that tree is going to be dead. It's not going to live anymore. So I get some really nice popple or whatever it is. And I was explaining to the, to the kids that, yeah, this one's dead. This one's grandpa's going to cut down. Well, that made Bella kind of sad. And she said, oh, it's, it's kind of sad that they, they're dying like that. Well, it seemed like a good time for a spiritual lesson. So grandpa put on a spiritual hat and so what is something 
that you and I have will never die. And one of them said, our souls. It gave me the right answer. It's like, hey, that's right. Our bodies, like Grandpa's body, is getting old, and someday it will die. It will perish. But if I have Jesus and, and I believe him as my Savior, and I trust him and I have faith in him, I will live in heaven with him. Everything else in this world will eventually fade or be destroyed. Everything else, pictures, artifacts, money, physical treasures, they're all going to fall away. But the salvation and the faith we have in Christ is, is an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, and is reserved in heaven for you. The Bible encourages us to teach our children from the time we rise up in the morning until we lay down for bed at night. In fact, it says something about writing the, the principles of God on their forehead. That was something they did back then. We don't do that today, thankfully. But you get the, it's a metaphor for us today. You get what, it, what it's saying. When you get up in the morning, teach your kids. When you lay down at night, you're teaching your kids. Teach them about God's grace, about God's mercy, about God's salvation. Peter has been teaching us that the most valuable treasure is inheritance, this inheritance that is given by God through the mercy of Jesus Christ. But now all of a sudden, Peter switches gears. And and it's a little twist. So let's move on and read the other verses, starting with verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes through its tested, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. People are always wondering why we have to go through trials. In fact, they write books about it. And one of them you might recall is why bad things happen to good people. People are always searching for that answer, aren't they? Why do bad things happen? To me, Peter gives us a really good explanation of why we go through trials. He basically says, if we want to become precious like gold before God, we need to be fired by trials of life. In the olden days, when they would purify gold, they would heat it up and melt it, and then the dross or the impurities would uh, form on the top. And then they would take a ladle and dip it off, and, and then what you had left was pure gold. Nowadays, they do it with chemicals and, and so forth, but the, the process is still the same. You've got to heat it up, and you've got to get the impurities away from there to have pure gold. Trials of life many times are very, very painful and sometimes take years to go through. In fact, we go through continually. And the reality is that none of us can ever avoid trials. Sorry, young people. You got trials coming. No matter how good you are and and how great you are, you're still going to have bad things happen to you. 
Some people get very, very angry at God when bad things happen. They may lose a loved one, lose a job. And they shake their fists at God and they say, why, why God? Why did this happen to me? I think that Peter is telling us that God has a purpose for the trials we go through. God is always in control. God always sees the big picture. And as our Heavenly Father, he only wants what's best for us. And maybe the, that best thing is that trial. This maybe is a poor example, but as an earthly parent, you know, sometimes we have to allow our children to go through trials. And uh, maybe a kid comes up to you and they're crying. And they say, I hate piano. I can't stand it. I want to quit. Let me quit. And they're crying. They're bawling. But you know that if you keep them going, eventually they might become an accomplished pianist, a good piano player. That hardship will pay off someday. Most of our time, most of the time, our view of life is very narrow, and it's hard to see how a trial can improve our life. <laughs> like, for example, I was farming this last week, and how can my life improve when, when my, the U-joint on my mower breaks? And then on my way to get parts to Grand Forks, no lie, I get a, a stud, a, a pin that hits the front tire, pops up, and grabs, gets grabbed by the second tire. I, I mean, there's, it's a stud. It's not a bolt. It's not a screw. It's a stud. It, it just punctured it. How is that going to improve my life, you know? <laughs> or more seriously, how is cancer going to improve my life? How is the death of a loved one going to improve my life? At the moment of our of these trials, our minds can't fathom that this could be a blessing. We think there's no way that a loving God would allow us to go through so much pain and sorrow. Not if he's a loving God. At the moment of our hurt, our minds don't understand God's purpose. As an old safety guy, I remember many times that something bad had to happen in order for things to improve. He had an accident, but what would happen was we would all get together and we would ask, how can we prevent this accident from happening again? We'd ask that question, and everybody put their thinking hats on, and we would say, well, we can put a guard on it, on this machine, or we can improve a, a safety process, whatever it is, and eventually we would get rid of that, that possibility of that accident happening again. Things got better. Many times, the safety world, you, you can see how bad things can actually be made better. Sometimes we need to press the rewind button in our life. Think back on those, those years before of those things that you went through. And I bet that if you look back, you can see how the trials of life have helped you to grow. They have helped you to be wiser. They have helped you to build your faith in God to grow deeper and stronger. God's main purpose for trials is to strengthen your faith in him. 
And Peter writes that this will ultimately bring praise, honor, and glory to him. As I mentioned at the start, Peter ties these two things together. He ties, um, first, God's mercy through Jesus Christ, and then that we can receive this incorruptible inheritance. And then second, he ties in that we're going to be tested by fire in our trials and faith. So why does Peter tie these two things together? Let's read on on our next verses, verse 8 and 9. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with great joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I believe Peter ties these two themes together to show us that God wants to save us and keep us safe. Some people may think the trials of life are a punishment from God. And I'm not going to get into a discussion about that. It's possible. But I think that God allows us to go through trials to wake us up, to get us thinking about him, so that we can get a clear perspective on what is important in life. You've heard it said many times that when you hit bottom, there's no else to look but up. When life is on cruise control and everything's going great, sometimes we get a little complacent. And we don't, we don't understand and we don't see how fragile life can really be. How our life could change in an instant. And maybe not for the better. So I think that God allows us to go through trials to strengthen our faith. He wants us to remind us about what's important in life. He wants to remind us about our salvation in Jesus Christ. He ultimately wants to preserve our life. God wants us to to save us from death. So he tests us over and over to see if we really get it. Did you really get it? Isn't this an encouraging portion of Scripture? It really is. It's not fun to think about trials, but it is fun to think about eternal life. That absolutely, absolutely incredible inheritance that we are going to have with God. The trials that we go through are meant to strengthen our faith and protect our salvation. That's all he wants to do. He wants to safely bring us home. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we do again thank you for your word. And we also thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides us. Father, if there is someone here that has not accepted your salvation through Jesus Christ, I pray that you will not let them rest today. I pray that you prompt them with your spirit to accept your salvation. And Father, for those of us that have you as our Savior, I pray that you will continue to work in us and, and um, we know that trials will come and help us to understand that these are here to make us stronger in you. So we thank you for them. We ask that you will give us strength to to get through them. 
would always be looking up to you, Father, for you are the best thing in our lives, and, and you are the right for your blessing upon us today as we leave. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Would you please stand and sing with